And one of the things I tell my students all the time, are you forcing the body or are you influencing the soul? From Digital Horsemanship, this is Finding the Feel. I'm your host, Caitlin Hurst. Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2020, and we're so excited you're with us. To kick off this year, we have a special guest. In fact, we've been playing email tag for a while now, and we're so excited to finally share. He is an accomplished horseman who has spent his career training prospects to be successful on the ranch and in the show pen, teaching his students to train with the same methods and ethics. He most recently won the 2019 wildcard competition at Road to the Horse, returning this year as a main competitor. He's a man of God and continues to teach through the horsemanship philosophy philosophies of his father, Martin Black, grandfather, Ray Hunt, and Ray's mentor, Tom Dorrance. Thanks, Wade, for being patient all this time and joining us. Oh, thanks, Caitlin. Yeah, glad glad to be here. Glad we were finally able to connect. <laughs> Anything in that intro that I missed that you want to throw in? My wife is Amaya Black, and I have three awesome kids, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. So they're, they're definitely the most important thing in my life, and so I definitely want to want to share that. Good. Well, there's so much to talk about, but let's start with Road to the Horse. For those who don't know, Road to the Horse is the premier colt starting event. Each competitor selects an untrained three-year-old American quarter horse and trains them over a three-day period to compete in the final obstacle challenge. Other winners include Vicki Wilson, Nick Dowers, Clinton Anderson, and Sarah Dawson, who joined us for season one. Wade, tell us why you chose to compete in the wildcard challenge last year. They called me. That's why I chose to compete in the wild card challenge. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, they called me and asked me if I wanted to to com- compete in it, and uh, thought it was a, a pretty good opportunity. And yeah, and so honestly, uh, when they first called me, I was a little little hesitant, and uh, I just oh different things like that. I've kind of been involved in, and I kind of had a lot of stuff on my plate. And, and I thought when they first called, I was like, eh, I don't, I, I, I didn't fully understand what it was, Road to the Horse and how big it was. And so I'd had a guy, some different people call me before as far as doing cult starting challenges. And, and I, I guess I didn't hear the message or didn't really realize the opportunity it was. But when they first called me, my initial thing was, nah, I don't, I don't think so. And, and then like a couple of weeks went by and I told my wife that some, some guy called me about doing a cold start challenge and I said, I'm not doing it. And she goes, you better pray about that and see if that's something you're supposed to do or not. So anyway, obviously I'm glad I did. Yeah. So very, very, very excited to be a part of it. And it was, it was a really neat, neat. I was so impressed through the whole thing as far as the, the people that put it on and just what a neat Rand deal. Why do you think they called you? Uh, I don't know. They were desperate. I think, I think that was it. <laughs> Uh, I, I would imagine partly because oh, my dad had done it before and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think they were desperate was the main thing. <laughs> I highly doubt that. Did you do anything special to prepare? No, not really. Honestly, I was pretty busy teaching and that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, uh, I've kind of been on a long journey in, in competing. And that's one of the things that oh, I have a little club here at TVCC. It's called CCF. And we just kind of try to tackle that the we do a little Bible study and support group, and it's it's called uh, competing from the Holy of Holies. So it's how to go be competitive, whether it's running a business or competing in sports with, without losing your identity in Christ. And it's something that's kind of been a struggle for me that started clear back in high school. And so honestly, how did I prepare? Uh, I didn't do a lot on the, on the physical part as far as starting Colts, but definitely on that kind of stuff as far as just kind of being – 
prayed up in, in, in that part, you know, I, I prepared more, I would say on that part, as far as why I was going and the purpose I was going in more on that part, probably more than, than how to on the horse training part. And even through that, I just prayed when I learned, how do you want me to start this cult? And, and that's one of the things I rode Bronx for years. And I kind of, it sounds silly to go to the road to the horse, but I kind of went on it like, riding a bronc in the sense that you do your work at home, you work on your spur board, you do that. And then when you go to the rodeo, you just kind of relax and ride the horse, you know? And so that's kind of where I went into it is I kind of got maybe a little bit nervous of how am I going to prepare or whatever. I'm like, okay, I started Colts my whole life. I just need to relax and try not to be, that was one thing Nick Bauer said is not to let a bunch of the external factors change what, what you would normally do. So when you say you prayed to figure out your purpose and going, what was the answer? So what I do right now, kind of, I there's kind of four different branches, like you already kind of mentioned, the training for the cross, and and all of them have to do with with training kids through training horses. And so one of those branches is is research and education. So I went to school at TVCC, I rodeoed up there, and then I got my master's up there in starting colts, believe it or not. And um, and I've really enjoyed the research part of that, and that's what I've incorporated. I currently I teach at a junior college at TVCC, so I've I've used some of that research in that, in my program. And then there's, I have my own business training for the cross LLC. We train and sell horses. It's, it's a family owned and operated business. And then we have, there's kind of a, a ministry branch of that. Um, kind of the, what's that next step after rodeo Bible camp, we have do an online Bible study. And then we have something here at, at a TVCC called CCF. It's Cowboy Christian Fellowship. And it's just basically that, that next step after rodeo Bible camp. And then the last one is I work a lot with, with 4-H and rodeo and, and kind of the coaching aspect of it. And so my goal for going there would be to any of those, honestly, recruiting kids, helping kids find direction through, through all of that, whether it's kids that want to come, recruiting kids that want to come to to be a part of uh, TVCC and go to school here, maybe people that want to, you know, be a part of the online Bible study and that part, or we've, my wife and I have kind of opened up a deal where we travel around and kind of help some of the 4-H. We have a 4-H program here and we've kind of created our own little score sheets and tying it together with rodeo and kind of a family business. And so this summer we're kind of going out and, and kind of helping other parents and 4-H and even business owners as far as how to incorporate basically getting kids more involved on the ranch and helping to set a solid foundation in kids and horses. So that was a really long answer to that. And I'm sorry, but that was really the heart of, okay, what am I doing? That training for the cross is training kids through training horses. So why was I going to road to the horse? It was about kids as far as helping kids. So anyway, I love that. And I want to return to much of that about your teaching and methodology here in a bit. But quickly going back to Road to the Horse, you show up and one of the first things you have to do on day one is select your horse. How does that work? How do you go about choosing it? So they had, there was a total of uh, nine horses there. And so, no, they had 10 horses, sorry. And, and Vicky and Nick, they each picked three. And then the other two uh, wild cards, they picked one, and, and then I was last, which it was it was perfect. Honestly, going in there, that was one of the things my wife was just kind of praying for is that we, you know, pick the right horse off the bat. And I don't, I kind of went in there, you know. Sometimes they had the papers and they ha- had all that posted, and 
I don't know. I just, I went into it, you know, back clear back when I was riding Bronx, a lot of times people would get really concerned of their draw and what they have drawn and let that determine their strategy. And that was one of the things, even in that it's like, okay, Lord, you give me the horse I want. And so it, honestly, it was perfect that I was the last one and there was only two horses there. I mean, for me, that, that, that was perfect. That just narrowed it down between two horses, right? <laughs> it made yeah. that job really easy. And then even that, I, when we got down, I was bouncing back and forth between the two. And, and, um, as I walked up the step there, I was still going back and forth, right? Lord, which one we're picking. And as I walked up there, I was kind of leaning towards one. And then he told me to, to pick the other one, but, but there was actually, there's two different horses and they're quite a bit different. When I walked down there, one was pretty gentle and came up to me. And the other one, he was real standoffish and spooky. And when I tried to get to him, he'd hide around all the other horses. And that was the one I picked was the spookier one. And the one shoot just climbed right in my hand pocket there, paws pop uh, practically and was sniffing me. And so when I picked the other one, everyone was like blown away that I picked that one. But the other thing they had, there was 10 horses and they had them all in one pin and they only had two feeders. So there was, I mean, 10 horses there and they were there, I think a day or two days before the competition. So that was another three days. So those horses, part of those horses were getting kicked off feed. So the one that I didn't pick, he was already drawn up a little bit because I don't think he was eating as much. And what I, what I didn't want is when you go to start a horse, there's kind of two different forms of self-preservation. You know, there's high energy and fear. And then there's the other one, when they start getting tired, they can get resentful and even kind of soul up on you if they get too tired. And so in a three-day challenge that was pretty intense, I wanted one that wasn't going to get tired because he was getting enough energy. Because it's not like we ride those horses and it's how gentle we can get them. Because really, we got to take them through an obstacle course. You got to go do a job on them. You got to get them to lope both directions and that kind of stuff. So like I said, I didn't want one to get too tired on me and then get sold up and get tired and get kind of pissy. And thankfully, the horse I had was awesome. He had tons to go. Yeah. So you picked the one that had a little bit of extra fire, and that seemed to help you. Yep, yep, yep. I yeah, I wanted the one that was gonna. I could tell he had had some spunk and a lot of energy, and I thought, ah, oh, you'll be a good one to kind of go all day on. So that's that's the one I picked. Yeah. And what was his name? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> paper. I don't, I don't remember even what his what his papers were. Yeah. So it's a three day challenge. What's the difference between? training the horse in the competition versus how you would train one at home. How did you approach that differently, if at all? Obviously, maybe maybe a little bit faster in my program, especially that I do now with these college kids. What I would do is the exact same, just the time frame was a little bit different. So honestly, I kind of went into it where the last, when I went around the obstacle course, I kind of went in it on ride eight. That's where I would have been on ride eight. So when, when we first went out there, it's it's an hour and 45 minutes, but then you're supposed to have breaks in between. So I kind of just broke it up into three 30-minute rides. And so say day one, I had 30, uh, day one, I had three rides. Day two, I had three rides. And then day two, I had, you know, one ride in the round pin and then outside we went, you know. And so that's kind of was a little bit of the difference of where I would expect them at the end of day one where I would, I would expect him at the end of day two and where would I expect him at the end of day, day three, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, so I would say I did the same thing. It just went a lot faster. What was your thought process like each time you went out and started working with your horse? 
Yeah, so one of the things that how, how I think about doing and what I teach is I call it the training trifecta. So every time I go to touch a horse, I'm always hitting on these three different things, task completion, temperament, foundation. And, and that's kind of the basis of what I do. When I did my master's, I had to name and define as best I could everything I thought I saw my dad and grandpa do starting a horse. And so I started these colts and we grained part of them and then we didn't grain part of them and then we filled out score sheets. And on one side of the score sheet was temperament. And on the, on the other side was foundation and task completion. So say like task completion, good to catch, good to saddle, good to bridle, stand to get on, lope outside. Foundation, those would be, I had to come up with a scientific, I had to come up with vocab words that what we looked for. So like an example, I, I'd i say, okay, well, I'm going to take the slack out of the rain. I'm going to wait. I want to get him given. So they're like, okay, great. You have to give that a name and a definition. So I'm like, all right, so we named it horizontal direction. Well, then we have to give it a definition. The definition of that is you take the slack out of the rein. The horse puts the slack back in the rein with suppleness through the pull in the loin. And then there's six different vocab words to tell if you have that. And then like stage one, stopping the inside front foot, pivoting all the other feet forward around it. So to answer your question, from the first time I touched that horse, I'm looking at him and I just kind of honestly have those score sheets in my head. So like on the temperament side, self-preservation, you know, his, his He's got high self-preservation, high energy, low confidence, high sensitivity, a little bit of reaction to social separation. So there's just numbers. So I actually changed my numbers to where it's kind of like the, the road to the horse where they, you know, zero, negative one, negative two, negative three, and then positive. So I just start playing with numbers. When I step in the pin there, I'm going to work on the temperament. I'm going to work on those foundation vocab words where I take slack out, he puts it back in, and then pretty quick the task completion. So like in day one, I wanted to be able to catch him, saddle him, get on him, and lope him off both directions. Boom. And then foundation, how do I do that? How do I accomplish those task completions? By gaining those foundational vocab words like supple through the pull in the loin, pivot around the inside front foot. And then as I'm going through there, you can't rush those. The temperament plays a huge factor in there. And so every day I would be going, okay, where are they at on the training trifecta? And then I just kind of didn't get in a hurry and wherever he was able to do, we'd keep going from there. So were there certain things that came easy with this horse and maybe others that you struggled with a bit? Honestly, it was I was so blessed. It was so smooth. He was such a good horse. You know, one of the things I really took my time right off the bat and I just I really got a solid foundation going on him on the temperament and on the foundation before I ever tried to do any of the task completions. And one of the things that I tell my students all the time, are you forcing the body? Are you influencing the soul? So the soul, what I teach is that's their mind, their will and emotions. And he was just a good horse. You know, I, I didn't get in a hurry of forcing his body to do anything. I just set it up and let him found it. You know, I put a little pressure on, you know, his mind, will and his emotions till he kind of trusted me. And then we went on with it. But, but even in that, I was blessed. He was awesome. You know, he never, he never once wanted the buck. He wasn't humpy, you know? And so I, he was a good horse. I couldn't hardly have picked for a better horse as far as that went, you know, but there was a couple of times definitely where like I picked up on him and he braced up and got stiff and I, it would have taken nothing to have him be bronchy or spooky or I mean, maybe not so much bronchy, but to get on the fight and be really pissy. I just never set it up to where that was ever an issue, you know, but there's danger plenty of times where when he got a little bracy, if I would have got a little bracy and tried to force his body a little bit, I definitely could have had all the resistance I wanted on him. <laughs> 
just just because he was kind of one of those horses that had a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of self preservation, and he was just a big stout horse, you know. And so, yeah, I, I dang sure could have had all the resistance that I wanted. <laughs> so, what was next? What was day two and three like? Oh, I just kind of that that same thing, putting the the foundation that I already did in the round pen. And so that, that was kind of day one was focused more on, on temperament and foundation. Day two, I, I kind of tried to do more task completion, especially toward the end there. I tried to put a little more pressure on him to kind of test him. And then all, I mean, that's what we did in day one and day two was to prepare him to go do his job. And, and luckily, I mean, the foundation that I wanted to instill in him in day one and day two and the temperament that I wanted to instill in him, I had, I had the confidence in him and he had a solid foundation so that I could go do the job. And so honestly, I felt fairly confident when I went through there and you never know what's going to happen. But the things that I had asked him to do up to that point, he had trusted me and I had the foundation as far as left and right forward back to where I could uh, influence his direction to go accomplish the job. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So day three comes to an end and you find out that you win. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. Honestly, the whole thing was, was just, I don't know. I mean, obviously when you win, it's everything's fun when you win, (laughs) but it was awesome. Honestly, the whole the whole uh, time was just, it was peaceful. It was restful. I don't know how else to explain it other than different times. Me and my wife, we do rodeo Bible camps. And there's different times where we go speak, like, you know, you have to speak in church or whatever, and you have people praying for you, and you're kind of nervous. But then when you go to speak, it's just peaceful and restful. And that's honestly how it felt the whole time. There was never any, it was just peaceful and restful. My wife was the pen wrangler. And honestly, I just kind of stayed in my own little world. I borrowed, this, I borrowed all my tack when I got there. And which is just kind of to me, like everyone like had their own, especially at Road to the Horse, there's, everyone has their tack. And every, I just kind of went in with, I don't know, I just tried to relax and just go have fun starting a colt with my wife. And my, my, you're supposed to put together a crew. And so like I had my nine-year-old son was part of my crew, you know. And so I just, and Nick Dowers, actually everyone was awesome. Booger uh, was Awesome. Ben was awesome. I mean, everyone, I couldn't ask for just a neater group of guys to go do it with too. That, 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 that part was as, as neat as anything was just the atmosphere. I was so impressed with the atmosphere there. Yeah. You know, I think that sense of calm, that's something so many of us strive for either just working with your horse, but especially when we're out in that pen, what do you think enabled you to be so calm? Honestly, so I, the more I thought about it, I mean, it's so I coached rodeo as a rough stock coach. I rode Bronx for a lot of years, and then I was a rough stock coach for five years here at TVCC. And 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 that's one of the things, you know, and how I really enjoyed coaching, and that's kind of the purpose of CCF here at this college that I teach at is, you know, we're body, soul, and spirit, and that there's the part that you need to do in the body. So say if you're going to go start a horse, there's things that you you need to have the knowledge of what you need to do to train the horse or ride the bronc or whatever, right? There's that part of your muscle memory in the sport. But then there's the other part. I, I coach my little kid all the time and for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. And I feel like sometimes the fear comes from our identity. 
when our identity gets trapped in the sport that we're doing, whether it's training horses, you're seeking your identity in a horse trainer, seeking your identity as a bronc rider, football player, or team roper, whatever, instead of, I mean, as a Christian, seeking your identity as a child of God. And when your identity is in that, well, then you can go, and if you've done your job preparing, well, then you can just go have fun and do what you've been trained to do. Does that kind of make sense? And I think because it's like, I can go have fun golfing, but my identity is not in golfing. Does that kind of make sense? You know, and I think that's part of it. But one of the things that enabled me to just kind of relax and go do what I feel like is that's what I've done my whole life is, I mean, from the time I was 10, we moved from a big ranch in Nevada to Homedale. And that's what we did. Dad had, we had between 30 and 50 outside, I mean, mares that we raised and sell. And then by the time we were junior high and high school, dad had another 30 outside horses. So I mean, that's what we did every day. Most of the summers was right between eight to 10 outside horses. And then when I graduated high school, I took over my dad's business, Colt starting. And I mean, and so I think part of that was the preparation in just training so many horses and then teaching so many that I could just relax and go, okay, I'm not going to make this bigger than it is. I'm just going to go relax and do what I've done. And I think the other part too is, is I had a real piece just, I mean, praying through the whole thing. So like day one, it was mm-hmm. kind of like, Peter, what do you want me to do? And I made some notes on my phone and I said, okay, man, here's what we're doing. And it just, it, it was just yeah, peaceful and restful on that. As far as the plan that I had, I honestly say, prayed about it. And I thought, okay, here's your game plan. Here's what we're going to do. And I can't tell you how many times in sports you have a game plan, you go out and nothing goes right. But it was just, it was awesome. It went pretty smooth of what I wanted to accomplish. The plan worked, I guess. So, yeah. Nice. Gotta love when that happens. Yeah. So now it's 2020 and you're coming back as a main competitor. Tell us what you're thinking about, if you're even thinking about it, and are you going to approach it in a similar way? Yeah, probably a similar approach, honestly. So I I read some horses more this summer and, and, you know, heading back in there, we'll have the green break and uh, we have that class going again. But honestly, I don't know. I'll probably go with the the same approach, not to think too much about it. And just, especially after last year, it was peaceful. It was restful. And I'll probably prepare just like I did is, I mean, honestly, and that's really the heart of CCF is, is making things a form of worship. Like there's the parts, my wife, she plays a guitar and sings. And there's the part that she needs to do to prepare to be ready to sing her song. But bottom line, when she goes to lead worship, it's she needs to just relax and let it be a form of worship. And so that's, I'm definitely going to make sure I, I'm doing my part, but then I think that's the part is, okay, Lord, you've given me the ability to train horses, just praying that it would glorify him. And that's if I come in dead last, you know what I mean? That's never fun. But if I get bucked off and I'm a total idiot, just pray that that's, you know, I can glorify him through that, you know, <laughs> dead last and, and nothing works out. Right. And so, uh, and when you go in it like that, you know, you, you prepare and, and you, yeah, you, you try to outline that as far as, okay, here's the game plan. Here's what we're doing. And then whatever the outcome is, the outcome is, I guess. So, so have you started outlining that plan yet or is it still too early? So we have pretty much the same structure. We have one horse, honestly, I'll, I kind of, Honestly, my biggest game plan is is could you go closer, kind of get prayed up and say, okay, Lord, what are we doing? And if, I mean, so since I've been here at TVCC, oh, I've got roped into marrying a few of my kids here at, at TVCC. 
and I don't know what I'm doing. So much of stuff, I have no clue what I'm doing. And so like I pray and a lot of times the night before I'm supposed to marry him, God kind of gives me what I'm supposed to say. And so then I say it. And so I think I'll kind of do the same thing. I'll pray about it and go, okay, Lord, what are we doing? And, and, and I think that's, that's, it sounds kind of silly, but that's kind of been how a big portion of my life has been is I kind of wait for orders and then I go do it. <laughs> yeah. Your students must really love you then if you're marrying a bunch of them. Well, I haven't done a lot. I've done like four or five of them or whatever. It was funny. So like I had this one kid and he would come, it was actually outside of school and he'd come working for me. And we tried kind of been, we kind of, kind of had a Bible study and we're kind of doing a little discipleship thing there. It, as we were starting Colts, he's actually working for my business outside of school. And, and, uh, he, he had this opportunity to go work for someone else. And so I gave him this big old talk. I'm like, you know, Juan, that's awesome. You know, that that's kind of Christianity 101 is, you know, God will kind of getting pushed out of your comfort zone. It's kind of like getting on that colt and getting him to leave the round pin. You know, God will start leading you to do things that you're a little uncomfortable. And then you, you, you know, seek him and, and, uh, he'll guide you through it. Just like getting that colt to leave around. But so I get done, I give him this good old talk. I'm like, Oh, wow, that was awesome. And then like five minutes later, I have this neat little, he was one of my bronc riders and he was in the equine program and his, girlfriend was in the equine program too and he come up and he's like hey wait you know me and Alicia were getting married and we've been praying about it and we're wanting seeing if you would marry us and I'm like oh oh thanks no I've never done that before no I don't I don't know what I'm doing and then as soon as I walked off I heard the Lord say you know good sign of being a Christian is being pushed out of your comfort zone I'm like oh my gosh and so yeah that was kind of the start of that (laughs) now you have to do them all yeah So you are a full-time instructor there at Treasure Valley Community College. You teach a lot of people. What is your approach when you teach students? So uh, obviously a lot of what I've I've taken away from my dad and my grandpa, but the, the backbone behind my entire program is it's called TQA, Training Quality Assurance. And it's the research that I've taken from my master's. So I took that, and when I left Montana State, I end, I just started training my own horses. It's kind of a long story I won't get into, but I ended up having to expand my business. And I had a bunch of employees and, and kids working for me. And I, I had such a heart for, for training, educating. I really liked educating. And I had, well, I'll tell you, I had a house in Montana and I had a house down here and we didn't have renters up there. And so I had like 2000 bucks a month just in housing. And so I kind of prayed about, and I felt like God wanted me to expand my current horse training business and lower my prices and just take in kids. So I'd take in four or five kids and I would, you know, obviously give them a job and they'd work for me. And what I did during that time is, and I was still riding Bronx at that time, I was going around the circuit rodeos. And so sometimes I'd leave on like Thursday and Friday and I'd come back and I'd line out the kids to be riding the horses. Well, of course I'd come back and kids would be getting bucked off or having problems. And so what I did was a and I incorporated it into my business. So I had all of my employees fill out these score sheets. So there was, you know, groundwork phase one, phase two, there was in where they were. So they'd fill it out every day. And that was really the birth of TQA training quality assurance. And it was to help keep consistency, whether it was me riding my horse or one of the four or five different employees. And it was, it was to ensure my customer 
that I, that they were getting training quality, even though that I was riding them. So I think that's one of the tricky parts. You know, you, you take a horse to someone for them to train and say, you trust the trainer, but then you have three or four employees working for you. And sometimes the training quality isn't there because you have different people working for you. So to answer your question, that's really how I teach is the research that I'd done for my master's. And it was pretty intense and we really had to dive into a lot of it. And it was funny as soon as that switch kind of switched in me and trying to figure out the science, I've just never been able to turn it off. So gosh, I got my master's 10, 12 years ago. And ever since then, I just continued to, to keep digging deeper into that. So. so each of your employees had to fill out these sheets for each horse? Yep. Yep. So yeah, they fill wow. it out every day. So every day there's a temperament side, like I said, self-preservation, energy, confidence, reaction, to social separation, sensitivity. And then on the other side, there's like good to catch, stand to saddle, lead. There'll be task completion thing and then foundational stuff. And so they got to fill that out every day. And uh, that's a huge part of TQA is, is part of my program is teaching the kids how to train a horse. But the other huge part of it is educating that student how to go educate the public. So I, I have three different degrees. I have an equine science degree, an equine business, and then a horse production and training degree. And in the horse production and training degree, there's 7.1 million people in the equine industry and 85 to 90% are inexperienced horse owners. So in that degree, I'm trying to equip that 10% to go sell horses to that 90%. And so such a huge part of that, you need to be really confident at not only educating the horse, but educating the customer as well. And that's really where TQA comes in. You can sit down and, and break that down where that horse is specifically advancing. And, and I have them do videos and, and show where they're at at the end of the training. And, and the customers have really liked it because just that they're being assured that they're getting training quality. Wow. That is so cool. So when a horse finishes that program with that quality assurance, what are they like at the end? There's 15 things that they should be able to do. So in my program, basically what I did in my personal horse training business, where I would expect the horse to be at the end of a month, I expanded that for two months for an industry quality standard. So that's what I've tried to do through my program is offer an industry quality standard for starting a horse. Currently, there's no quality standard anywhere. I mean, the welding, automotive, most industries have some sort of a, a quality standard that says, you know, currently most people that are, that are starting a horse, they're charging between six to $800 to train that horse. And to set a foundation, most cult starters don't take that horse for less than two months. So for a consumer, I'm going to pay between, you know, 1600 and somewhere between there, between twelve and $1,600 to have someone train a horse for me. And there's no industry standard that says at the end of two months, this is where they should be. So in my program, that's what I try to outline. So like I said, there's 15 things. Good to catch, good to saddle, good to bridle. My biggest pet peeve in the world is rope a straight line away from the barn. I can't tell you how many horses they bring to me and said they've had 90 days of professional training and you could tell they've never been ridden outside of a barn arena, you know. Uh, rope a circle both directions, kind of just the basic maneuvers with their feet, pivot around an inside front foot, pivot around an inside hind foot, side pass. You know, the basic maneuvers for a spin or rollback, walking around inside hind foot, picking up their feet, load them in a trader, swing a rope. And so that, that's those are the task completions. And then the TQA program breaks that down 
from groundwork, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, to help them accomplish the, the ultimate goal at the end. And then I have an industry test where they got to take the horse and they do it 100% by themselves. The whole first year at TBCC, I go through helping them pass the test. And then the second year, they got to take a horse and start it all by themselves. And yeah, we do a test. And I've just recently got, I wanted to have a little bit more legitimacy behind the test. And so I've kind of been working and I got, actually, I got Brian Newbert, Nick Dowers, Chris Cox, and my dad to be one of the judges for the industry test at the end of it. So yeah, we're going to film it. We'll film it and then send it to them. And so they get scored on different things. And so I'll send them the video. The kid will pay to take it just like industry, any industry certification. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the big goal at the end. That's part one of our great chat with Wade Black. Tune in next week for part two and hear more about the science behind Wade's methods. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook to join the conversation. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app to catch the next episode. And if you've enjoyed this one, please share with a friend. It's very much appreciated. Until next time.